Good morning. That's a great message right there. It's all about you, Jesus. Hopefully we'll walk away with that today, even as we talk about some tough stuff. So thankful that you're here. We call this place Journey for a reason, because life is a journey and we need to be on that path and not think that it's always going to be easy. And today we're going to dig into a tough subject. But this might be the most important Sunday and the following Sunday of all of the year. Christmas is a time where people come and by New Year's Eve, they've already lost the spirituality. That was kind of a joke there. but uh, And they kind of get stuck in, in life. But Easter, in the spring, people are thinking about changes and, and, and summer romances and new, new life. And, and things are going to start to grow. And after Easter, these next few weeks are where people are going to come into church and start living a life for the glory of God. And, and, and have an experience that I've been here six months, ten months, five years, and my life, life has been radically transformed. It happens. It happens in front of us each and every day. I can point out to you 15 or 20 people that it will happen if you stay faithful to God. There's a little recipe that we have. I love to cook. I don't know if you guys know this, but I love to cook. I, I like to cook a lot of stuff. I, I do probably 99% of all the cooking at our house. And there's a recipe for Journey. And I'm not like an infomercial kind of guy. I don't really get up there and go, Journey's the best, and we're do these infomercials. But I do want to tell you the recipe. Here's the recipe for why God has got a hand on these people and, and a group like us at church. The first part of the recipe is this. That we believe in the full aspect of God. God the Father, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we allow the Holy Spirit to do great and mighty things in the midst of us. We have a Jesus button on our website. If you've never been to our website, go to the website, click on Jesus, and you'll get more than you've ever wanted to know about Jesus in that one button. But we believe in God the Father preaching, and we have this fatherly type ministry. But we also aren't afraid of the Holy Spirit and what it can do. And it does amazing things when you allow it to work. So the first thing is we believe in the fullness of God and we teach that from all the pastors. From Randy, Jeremy, myself, Odell, Dustin, whoever else has been up here. I think Cameron, or a missionary, gave a message this summer. You know, we believe in God in his fullness. That's number one. The second thing is if you're at this church and you want to grow and you want something more, we challenge you to take a step. We don't spoon feed you here. This isn't a baby church where we spoon feed you and and that's the only feed that you get all week is from us. We challenge you to take a step. And if you take a step forward or two step forward, you will get more than you ever wanted. Go to this women's ministry. Take a step towards the table and sign up. It's only money. This week, a bunch of men went and saw a movie and radically changed our life. Batman versus Superman. The glory of God was there, so it was amazing. <laughs> but if you take some steps, you will get so much more out of what God has for you here. We're not one of those places that overserve you. Actually, we underserve you intentionally to see if you're that hungry. And here's the last thing, and this is probably the most important. There's a bunch of crazy sold-out Christians for Jesus Christ in this place. And one of the first messages I did at Crossroads, I brought this coal of charcoal out. And if you surround, if you ever tried to light a barbecue with charcoal, you've got to get one or two really hot. And over 20 minutes, the whole thing starts to catch fire. 
We've got a bunch of hot coals here. Gather around them because they're sold out and this makes this a better place. So thank you all for being sold out for Jesus Christ. And so maybe you don't like any of that. Take a gift bag on your way out. But take our, our mission statement as well. Take the mission of loving the world one person at a time. And if you never come back, that's okay. We won't feel offended. Jeremy might, but I won't get that offended. But beyond that, make this world a better place. I'm raising girls. And my girls someday, I'm sure, are going to have um, grandkids way later down the road. <laughs> when I'm old enough to be a grandparent. But I want those grandkids to be blessed. By my wife and by God and by all the people that are loving the world. So that's our mission. And uh, please take it, no matter uh, if you stay here or not. Take that mission and run with it. I promise you, this world will be better off if you do that. We're starting a new series today. It's called Life Without God. And uh, that vision or that image there looks very desolate. Looks very lonely. Looks very dry. Looks like a place I don't want to be. As we think about a life without God, it came from a series, uh, a sermon that we did a couple of months ago. And, and, and one of the questions during the service is, what would be this world without Jesus? And so that's why we're doing this series, Life Without God, after Easter. What would this world be without God? Well, there's a moment where Jesus is communicating to the disciples. And a rich man walks up to him and says, I, you know, I want to do everything to be close to you. And he says, follow the Ten Commandments. He's like, I've done that. And he says, great, sell all your stuff and give your money away and follow me. And the guy had too much. Does anybody have too much in here? I have a garage if you want to put some stuff in. Wow, you guys aren't very funny today. First service is sometimes way more exciting than you guys, by the way. Show up on first service and see what happens. These guys are crazy cool. Um. But this man comes up and he's like, he gets his, he walks away from God going, I can't do what he's asking me. And, and all of a sudden there's a challenge here and, and they're like, who can make it into heaven if this rich guy with all this possessions not welcome? The disciples are like, who's going to be able to make it? And here's our memory verse. Jesus tells them, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. As we talk about a life without God, if you try and live life on your own, you might achieve and get a raise and maybe even buy a house and even get a couple of crumb snatchers as you, that you call kids. But what is life really about? What is life really about? The Bible says without, without God, it's impossible. And, and I, I think you'll see that today as we go through this sermon. Life without God for most of the people in this world, 2.4, 2.5 billion or 4.5 billion people, it's not a big deal. I don't need God. I haven't had him before. I don't leave him. I don't believe him. He wants me to give money and my Sundays or Wednesdays or both. And he wants devotion. I don't need God. And the world believes that and we are okay with that for the most part. You know, I don't know if we're exactly okay with it, but the truth is we understand that. But here's the problem. The reason why we're doing this series is because there's Christians that said, I've said a prayer. I've, I've, I've done a few things, but I really don't have God in my life. And that's sad. I sat in a congregation for four years, giving money, feeling the worship, even putting my hands up like this high. But I didn't have a relationship with God. I 
had breakfast and, and lunch with people after church. And we talked about the message. But I didn't have a relationship with God. And I lived my whole week without God. And my only connection was that Sunday morning service. And if that's you today, you're barely hanging on to God. You're on life support with a ventilator. And you're not even breathing. You need more in your life. That's not enough. And that's what this message is about. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about hopelessness. Today, we're going to talk about hopelessness, darkness, no purpose in life, loneliness, and selfishness. And we're going to come to a conclusion at the end and dig our way out of these places without God and bring the glory of God in the midst of it. Amen? Amen. I want to tell a little bit of story about myself and my most hopeless place in my life. And it could be offensive to some of you if you don't know my story. Um, but it, it's my story and I can't get away from it. I want to explain to you the deepest, darkest place I've ever been in my life. And it wasn't jail. It was a few months before I got locked up. And here's what's going on. My, my divorce was final on uh, February 14th. I was going through a divorce and uh, my life was falling apart. I just got an order that I couldn't see my daughter unless I went to supervised visitations. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a lady with a clipboard, and she stares at you, and she's not even behind a window. She's next to you, so you can't hurt your kid. And so, my order said, if you show up on Saturday at noon to this building, you can see your daughter for two hours, and that's what you get for the whole week. And so, I made a decision. That's all I can do. That's what I'm going to do. So the first Saturday rolls around, and I show up at 12.20, and I'm running upstairs to go see my daughter for the first time in months. So excited, and they walk out and say, sorry, you're five minutes too late. Come back next week. Needless to say, I went to my car and cried. I went to the place I was staying. I didn't even have a home at that time. I went to some friend's house, and I curled up on the ball. On like their floor, I just started crying. And the only thing that would relieve pain was to do more drugs, drink more, and numb out the pain. That following Saturday at 11.30, I was up and I was excited to go see my daughter. I only had $28 though. I had a bunch of drugs. I had $28 and so I started making phone calls when I started driving, seeing if I could get anybody to give me the extra 22 bucks to go see my kid. I get there in the parking lot about three minutes before. I don't have the money. My only thought is, maybe I asked my ex-wife if she'll loan me the money. She wasn't even there. She'd left. Needless to say, I didn't get to see my daughter that day. I sat out of my car and had a nervous breakdown. Anxiety came upon me, depression Something I've never felt before. For that moment in time, I was separated from God and all humanity. Within the two weeks, I couldn't even make it. I didn't even start to try anymore because I just couldn't get to a place on Saturday at noon with $50. It's not like I didn't have the money. I had thousands of dollars in drugs because I was an addict. And I never could get to that point. I'm just telling you this story to know where life takes us in the pit of despair. In a pit of hopelessness. Today as we talk about hopelessness, 
I share with you my darkest moments. And the thing is, my life only got darker. I didn't see my daughter for almost 18 months after that because I got locked up. And anyways, that's a whole other story. The point is this, is I don't want to come up here and talk about hopelessness. And you think I don't understand it. Because my life's been dark. Very dark. And I don't want to ever think that you don't understand, you don't know that I understand darkness in a very powerful way. So today we're going to read a story in the book of Acts about a very dark moment by a, by a dear apostle named the Apostle Paul. And this little story kind of encapsulates all of the hopelessness in his life. So if you're able to stand or if you'd like to stand, even if you don't want to stand, put your heart right with God. And if you can't stand, but you want to put your heart open and maybe God will do something in the midst of that. Amen. Let's read from Acts 27 verse 13. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought that they could make it. So they pulled up an anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind, a wind of typhoon strength called a nor'easter burst across the land and blew us out to sea. The sailors could not turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Caudia, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. The sailor bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid that they were being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis off the East African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as a gale force wind continued to batter the ships, the crew began throwing cargo overboard. The following day, even the following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and stars until at last all hope was gone. Now what we do at this church is we pray together. This would be sad if only one person was filled with the Holy Spirit. So ask God to speak to you, fill you with the Spirit so that we can all be ministered together. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask as you are here, you are the hope of the world. And many have lived a life with God and many are struggling with a life without God. And we ask that you open up our hearts, minds, and souls to minister to us all. Speak to us in multiple ways, Lord, so that we can experience your glory. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Hopelessness. This world is full of hopelessness. You can look on the news. You can get alerts. You can have all kinds of stuff on your Twitter feed. And you can find that there's just hopelessness everywhere you turn. Terrorism. Martyrism. Financial woes. Train crashes this morning. There's all kinds of hopelessness in our life. Paul understood hopelessness. Paul understood hopelessness maybe more than any of us. Paul, at this particular point, is in the end of his five-year journey from getting convicted and beaten and thrown into this, this chaos and confusion that he was in. He was on the final leg of heading to Rome to be before Caesar. How did this all start? 
It starts in Acts 21, where Paul comes. He's just come off the mission field on one of his mission trips. And he comes to share the good news to the people in Jerusalem. And all he was told to do after he went up before the the leaders of the church and he shared all the salvation, all the church plants, all the goodness that was happening, they were all excited and said, praise God. And a few of the leaders came up and said, Paul, a lot of the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians are thinking that you're against them and that you're talking against Judaism. What can you do? And he said, I don't know. And so they challenged him to do this purification process, which is a Jewish ritual. He agreed, saying it wasn't going to offend God and Jesus Christ. So he starts this purifying process. And as he goes into the temple, as he's going through this uh, seven or eight day purifying process, some of the people that were out of town had Solomon said, that's the man. Grab him. He's against Judaism. He's against our God. He's actually preaching something different. And so they grabbed him and they beat him near death. He's thrown in jail, and this is where his journey of the end of his life begins. A five-year journey starts from him just trying to get right with God and right with some of the believers. He's put on trial. He's actually deemed not guilty, but he still makes the travel to Rome. And that's where we are in this place. He is on this journey from Crete into Rome when all this storm happens. Now, there's something interesting here. That I want to tell you. I think it's important about the the message. And it's not really in today's scripture. But I think it's something that God wants to share. So I want you just to hear it. Before Paul went into Jerusalem. He was coming out of Ephesus. And he was coming back. Before he went in. This guy named Agabus came to him. And he grabbed the belt. And he wrapped it up. And he put his hands in. And he says don't go to Jerusalem. Because if you do. You're going to be beaten. And you're going to be taken to Rome. And so the Holy Spirit comes and speaks in a way to tell him, don't go. And at one point in the book of Acts, because we just went through it as a church this last summer, there was a moment where Paul was told not to go and the Holy Spirit guided him and they stayed out of the fray and they continued on in the mission. Here, Paul hears what's being said, but he doesn't heed to the instructions by the Holy Spirit. And he goes to Jerusalem anyways. In the beginning of Acts 27, something that we didn't read, Paul... Who's diso- he basically didn't listen to the Holy Spirit, is now filled with the Holy Spirit, has an encounter, and he tells the people on the boat, hey, captain and guy in charge of the prisoners, we shouldn't go because we're heading into danger and destruction. We're going to lose all our cargo. We're going to lose everything. And, you know, we could lose life. And he says, we shouldn't go. And so the guys look at him and go, you're a prisoner. And so what, what do we do? We hear information I don't think it's pertinent to us or we're smarter and they choose not to follow that information. Now, the reason why I tell you that is, as we talk about hopelessness today, you've probably already heard the solution to maybe your hopeless situation. God has probably already, hopefully in my heart, given you this message of what you need to do. And my challenge is, as you go through today, go back in your memory and go, can I do this? And if I'm supposed to do this, you need to know that you can't do this on your own. You need to put God right in the middle of it. But generally, you've probably already heard a solution if you've been in a hopeless state in your life. And I think that's the important part of today's message. You know, people in this room, and I don't need to point out people because you probably know them yourself. 
are struggling with hopelessness, diseases, ailments, bad childhood, bad relationships, bad decisions, drug addiction, addiction in general to other things. And it's been struggling with you your whole life. And today we need to engage that as a community of believers and, and, and get to the crux of what this means and how we can move beyond it. I want to go back through this story again. I'm going to put some images up here and I want to just paint a better picture so that you understand how hopelessness can be turned into hope. It says in the beginning of our text, it says a, a light wind began blowing from the south and the sailors couldn't make it. So, so they, th- they thought they could make it. They didn't listen to Paul. They thought they could make it. And so they pull up anchor saying it's no big deal. And I think I have a painting of this where Paul's leaving Crete and they're, they're thinking that they have it. Is there an image up there? Okay. There's this nice, beautiful picture of this boat moving away and it, it's pulling up anchor. Verse 14 says, and listen, as we read this, I've underlined some stuff. Listen to what is the hopelessness and how it's starting to unfold. Paul is in a bad place. He's already been beaten near to death. He's already been sentenced. He's gone through and spoke to all the leaders in Israel and and, and all the kings that he could. And they're now telling him, you got to continue on. One of them says, I don't even find you guilty, but since you've said you're a Roman, we need to send you to Rome. But listen to the hopelessness. But the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength called the nor'easter, a nor'easter. We had one of those in, 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 in uh, December of this year where it rattled the, the, the east coast and it shut down places for, for four or five days. Some people didn't have power. 200,000 people didn't have power because of this nor'easter. This nor'easter burst across the island and it blew this little boat out to sea. And I don't know if you know this, but when you don't have control of a boat, it's pretty scary. My parents had a sailboat and when you have a sailboat, that means you don't have a power boat. That means you don't have power and when you want to get going, you turn on the engine and you power right out of it. They're stuck at sea and they've been blown out into sea and they don't have any control. And what does it say? The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they just gave up and let this gale force take them. They're basically to the point, as you're out in the ocean saying, we have no control over this. The winds are coming up, the storm's starting to brew, we don't know what to do, so we're going to make it for the best. The best thing they can do was give up and hope that something was going to come out of this. Verse 16 says, we sailed along a sheltered island a, 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 a sheltered side of an island named Claudia. They lifted up the lifeboat. They, they knew that they needed the lifeboat. They wanted to get into the lifeboat. The, the boat was kind of getting beated, battered and beaten. So they put a uh, rope around it to strengthen the hull. They were so afraid that they were going to go into this place that they knew was a sandbar. I don't know if you guys know this, but navigators, even back in those days, knew tough areas. There's still today's in our water that there's places that are tough to get through. You've got a small amount of of area to get through because the bottom isn't strong enough. And here they're afraid to get blown into the sandbar because as the waves and wind come in and you're on the sandbar, it'll break down the boat and you'll be stuck out in the middle of nowhere with no help. Verse 18 says this, the next day, what does the next day mean? That they've already gone through this 24 hours. I don't know if you've ever been on a boat. 
for even half an hour or half a day. I'm, I'm not seaworthy. My parents used to have a sailboat, and they'd sail with Catalina. And if you take a motorboat, it takes like 40 minutes. My dad's brilliant idea was to sail, and it took us seven hours sometimes. <laughs> seven hours, and the truth is, I'm seasick the whole time. Waiting to get on land and get on the dinghy and kiss the land, and I don't ever want to go back on the boat again. And we did this for a hobby. If you've ever been on a boat, I remember one day we were out there and it was just two or three hours and the wind and the rain and, and, and I was on the bow trying to see if we could make it into the harbor. It just got pretty scary out there. Those two hours were pretty agonizing. These guys are now into 24 hours on this boat. The next day, a gale force wind continues to batter the ship. The, ba- the ship is now in trouble. And here's what it says. It says, the crew began to throw their cargo overboard. What is cargo? Cargo is the money and the values on the ship. All of a sudden, everything's in chaos, and the only thing they need to do is get rid of the things that they're taking to the next place to sell and make money. That's their job. They're taking what they believe as their job and saying, we've got to get rid of this, because it really has no meaning to us. Verse 19 says, the following day, we're going on day three now. The following day, it's still bad. We've gotten rid of all the money, all the values, all the cargo in this place. And they start throwing over the ship's gear. Everything that it takes to run the ship. They're in a place where nothing else matters. If you ever get a call from the doctor and you say you have cancer or disease and and you need treatment immediately, guess what? Nothing else matters. When you get a call and your mother-in-law or your your wife or your, your husband is in the hospital and on life support, nothing else matters. They were in such a bad place, and you, you, if you read a couple of verses beyond this, it says this, this thing lasted maybe 14 days, 17 days, and they didn't eat for 14 days. That's how much anxiety and stress they're under. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't miss it every three hours. Right? And even if you've missed 24 hours and fasted before... 14 days because they can eat because it's not important to them. That's where they're at. That's hopelessness. When food isn't even acceptable, that's hopelessness. And that's what happens when people find out they have something terrible happen to them. When a breakup of a relationship comes, you're sick to your stomach and you can't eat. When a loss of somebody, when a disease Or when you're struggling with an addiction or you're living with somebody who's an addict, you get to a point where none of this matters. And verse 20 shows the climax of Paul and his hopelessness. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Here's a beautiful picture of what darkness looks like in life. This is a picture painted about that time. They can't see anything. And they sit like this for days. Now, food doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. Their ship and their, their, uh, um, their, their stuff, that their personal belongings, all of that's gone now. It's now a ship and weather and God. And nothing else matters to these people. Paul's life was just like this. From the beginning of his ministry until the end of his life, the Apostle Paul's ministry started in a a, a, a storm and it ends in a storm. 
He gets to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus and is blind and comes to know Jesus through that blinding. And he goes and starts ministering. And when people find out who he is, they're like, I don't want him in my house. I don't want him at my church. This guy's a killer. And he kills Christians. From the very beginning of Paul's ministry, he knew that his ministry was going to be hard and tough. And it was going to be agonizing. But listen, the Apostle Paul writes some of the most beautiful, hopeful scriptures in all of the Bible. And he writes some of that from a prison cell waiting for death sentence and his, his, his sentence on, on, on life. Because he understood it. Even though he suffered and had a hopeless, ministry, a hopeless life in the midst of his ministry, he did great things for the glory of God. Today I want to give some uh, three points about hopelessness so that we can walk out of here and understand that it's not all bad. Now, as I say that, I want to give you a warning. Some of these aren't very encouraging. If you're in a place that's tough right now, if you're in a place that's tough, I, I want you to know that God's here. The only thing that ever changed me was I sat back in a jail cell after, and I looked back at this moment where I couldn't see my daughter and I got down on my knees and I, I turned to God. And I said, God, if you're really out there, show me that I'm, it's worth it because I'm suffering. And of course, I wanted to be free, but he didn't want me to be free. He wanted me to sit in there and read the Bible and stop my addiction and change and come and be a different person. And that's what we need to do today. God is here and he's able to minister. Let me get through some of these. The first thing that we need to know is hopeless situations are allowed by God. I wish there was a better way to say it, but I'm not one to kind of put too much fluff on that. The truth is God allows hopeless situations. All throughout the Bible, if you have the willingness to change your life, all throughout the Bible, you will look and you will find all kinds of hopeless situations. Isn't that great? Think about that. If you're in a hopeless situation yourself and you're, and you're healing from some sort of loss or addiction or, or loneliness or disease, you can open up the Word of God that's alive and well and you can read a story and find something to fill the void of your life. Isn't that amazing? And you can identify it. I got a list of some people that you can identify with. The first person on this hopeless situation is Noah. Noah could have been easily the message for today. Noah was called by God to build an ark. There would never been a flood before on this earth. And he spent 80 years building on an ark. And I was thinking about this. And in first service I talked about, if God told me to build my ark, my girls and my wife would probably move out on me. Because it would be ridiculous because the way that Noah lived, everybody made fun of him by the end. And the world was full of sin. And the only people that stayed with him was his family. And my family wouldn't leave. They would stay with me. But the point is this. You know how embarrassing it would be? That all, everybody in this world was against you. And it's you and your family. Noah could have been a great story of hopelessness. Moses. He was raised by Pharaoh, got this pampered life, and he ends up losing it all 
killing someone and being excommunicated, not only to come back and talk to the most powerful man in the world and tell him, free all your slaves because we're going somewhere else. If you were called to go in and talk to the police chief or the governor and tell him to do this, none of us would do it. It would be ridiculous. Moses had a, had a hopeless life. And not only that, he led everybody out and got him into the wilderness. And listen, people are complainers. Who in here has worked at a restaurant before? People complain. Everybody in this room should be a day at a restaurant and realize how bad you guys really are to people. Because it's, if you mess with people's food, man, all hell breaks loose. And Moses got to hear all kinds of complaining, tons of complaining. Gideon had an army of, of, of thousands and was whittled down to 300 and was supposed to fight, God, fight God's war with just a few people. David, listen, David was a great king, but listen, as a parent, he was miserable. Sexual sin wrecked his whole child, all of his kids. His, one of his daughters was raped by one of her brothers, and their kids struggled with sexual sin the rest of their life. David had, think about it, he was running a kingdom, but his kids were a mess. How well could it have been had great, great hopelessness. Job, Job lost everything to the point where he gets before uh, his wife and she says the words you never want your wife to say. Why don't you just die? Do you guys want me to explain that? She comes and says, why don't you just give up and die? You're hopeless. That's not a place to be. Joseph, young man with all these beautiful dreams, gets sold to slavery, thrown in a hole, sold to slavery, told his dad he's dead. Goes out and finds a job as a slave and uh, his slave's uh, uh, owner's wife wants to hook up with him. He says no and he goes to prison for years. Years. All because of innocence. Most of us that have some hopeless things, if you're like me, some of my wreckage of my past, I created all of that. Some of you have stuff that hasn't been created by yourself. It's been created by other people. But the point is this. Hopeless situations are allowed. There's a point in, in, in Acts 14.22 where Paul has just been beaten. And he comes back in and he, he goes and picks himself up and goes into uh, Lysteria and he goes into another church after being beaten. He's got to have bruises and stuff. And he tells them in a church like this, he says this. They encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they may suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. If you're here today and you heard that message over and over, this church would be riddled with people leaving. They'd be running out of here. Welcome to Journey. Come in and you will experience all kinds of hardships. And it will be the most painful experience you've ever had. There'll be no more joy. And that's not what they're saying, but that's what it feels like, right? The truth is, as you accept Jesus and as you come on that journey of life, that's why we call this church Journey, you need to understand life is not about all rainbows and unicorns. It's about the highs and the lows and how you respond to those that makes you who you are. God's interested in character, not your comfort.
Hopeless situations are allowed by God. Some hopeless situations in life don't change. Let me say that again. Some people in this room have have hopeless situations and they just don't change. A death happens. An addiction happens. A a, a disease happens. You struggle with something and, and, and it just doesn't change. And God allows that. Some of it is allowed by God. Listen, Paul is in a situation where the seas are, are, are turbulent and he's near death and everybody's throwing everything away. But we have a God that parts the Red Sea. We can read that in the Bible. We have a God that can calm the seas with the flick of a finger. But here he allows this to happen. He could calm the seas if he wanted to, but he's like, the Apostle Paul needs to go through this. For whatever reason, I'm sure we'll figure that out when we get to heaven. But he is going through this for a reason. We have a powerful God that can change your circumstances like that. But there's a reason why he's put you in your situation. You need to grab a hold of it, see what it is, because someone around you is watching to see how you react in the glory of Jesus Christ through your situation. You know... Faith in Christ, it says that he is, he's the groom and we are the bridegroom, right? When we have a relationship, like it's like marriage. Till death do us part, sickness and in health, rich or poor. That's how we're supposed to live with God. It's not about how happy I'm going to always be. It's about what I do and how I love my wife, even in the tough moments. And it's the same with God. Listen, I've been in ministry for now, I was thinking about almost 11 years now to the, to, the, to, the, to the month. And I've heard a bunch of questions. I have a list of a bunch of questions that I've heard over my life. And, and the questions are struggling with stuff in life. And here's what it says. God, why doesn't this disease go away? Lord, why did I get this disease? Why does my spouse not believe? I've been praying for years. I've been interceding. I've got a ton of faith and nothing ever changes. Why is my career at the end when I wanted to work and make a ton of money to have retirement? Why does it be, why is it over? And, and because of that, why am I losing my house? God, you're the God of the universe. Can't you help me and, and, and provide for me? There's many people that have Uh, are later in their years and they want to be married and they're alone. Lord, why can't they get married? There's people that are young that want to get married and can't wait for that to happen and they can't get married. And they come up and say, why can't I get married? One of the hard ones. Why is my loved one on drugs and can't make it to a visit? It's not because I didn't want to make it. It's because there's something inside me that was holding me back. God allows this to happen so that we can pick up and grow through it. And if I'm going to suffer the rest of my life, I'm going to learn as I go through suffering. The toughest question says, can I trust a God if my situation doesn't ever change? It's always great when something great happens. Trust me. Man, hallelujah. I met Mr. Wright or, you know, I'm, I'm finally pregnant or I got my house back out of uh, foreclosure. All that stuff is great. But what happens if it doesn't happen? Can I trust you, God, in who you are and what you are? 
Very tough question. You're not alone in that feeling. We have a, 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 a guy named Jeremiah who was at the toughest point in all ministry. This guy was hated by everybody in his community because he was telling tough things to everybody and nobody wanted to hear. He was ministering in the toughest part of Israel's history. He was telling them, you need to turn from your sin. You need to turn away from all that's going wrong. Submit to this Babylonian king and everything will get better if you're willing to go back to me. I'm going to put you under the, 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 the hand of another king that's not Christ-like. But if you do that, you will, you will have change. And the truth is, nothing ever changed. Listen to what Jeremiah says. When does my suffering, why, does this, why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. Where's the help, Lord? Every time I seek help, all it feels like is this dry lake with no real water. And what I really need is the water of life. The spring's dry. Every so often there's a little bit of water with the rain. And we understand that in California, especially Southern California. Three times a year, the riverbed will be used. That's what happens in life. Jeremiah understood this. And he came out and said, can I trust you, God? Why did you put me as this ministry? He's known as the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations. He had a sad ministry. His whole life for 40 years was out and, and telling people that they didn't want to tell or hear anything. Homeless, uh, hopelessness in life is allowed and some situations never change. I'm going to invite the band back up. I want to close out with this last thought and hopefully it'll be a good thought for you guys. God allows hopelessness. You need to understand that some of your hopelessness stuff might never change. It might be with you the rest of your life. But hopeless situations can still accomplish good. During Easter, one of the big songs that we prayed about was a good, good father. We have a good, good father that does good, good things even when we don't know what is good. Most of us don't really know what we need and what is good for our heart and our soul. Most of us only think what's good from our own mindset and not from the heavenly perspective. But the Bible tells us that we have a good, good father. That's who he is. And even if we have to suffer, he's still good. Now, in this situation, most of the time we say Romans 8, 28. It says God causes good for those that are, are, are with his purpose. Well, if you've heard that, that, that verse over time for 5, 10, 15 years, that verse hurts. It's not a solution for someone. They need to hear something new and fresh. They need to see something beyond just knowing, hey, God's going to do a work in me. That doesn't mean that's not true. It just means you need to come to that person or to that situation in a different way. A fresh new set of eyes. With a great revelation that God can bring good out of tough situations. Listen to what John 9, uh, ver, uh, chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. There's this man that was born blind. And the disciples are asking him some questions. Rabbi, why is this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus responds, it's not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened to show the power of God could be seen in him. There's some of you that are suffering today and there's people that don't know God and they know that you're a Christian and are watching you suffer and saying, that is amazing. This Sunday, I'm going to do the Relay for Life. 
I'm going to open up with a prayer to God in front of a bunch of people that don't believe. But I have seen so many miraculous things happen in that place. A couple of years ago, this kid went up and said a prayer and told his story about his mom dying the year before. And the following year at eight years old, he died with cancer. But his life touched so many people. The way that he lived his life in those final days, he was always encouraging, lost his hair, he was withering down to nothing, an eight-year-old boy, but his life impacted everybody at his school. When you go through suffering moments, people are watching, and if you claim Jesus even in the midst of suffering, your testimony is fantastic, and it gives the glory to God. When we get into hopeless situations, when we get down on our knees and realize that we're in a hopeless place, for, for, for moments in time, we see God for who he really is. It clears us out. We throw out all the cargo, all the things that we think are important, and we get down on my knees and we realize, this is all I got, it's me and you, and I'll take this till the end of time with you, Father. There's a moment when Job is being, being persecuted by his friends and he says this, Though he slay me, yet I will have hope in him. If you're here today, believe those verses. Though he slay me, though things of this world are going to hold me back, I have hope in a God of the universe, a God that's good, a God that can take me out of my, my, my pit and into the glory room, even if my suffering never changes. And I want to close with this thought here today. The Bible tells us that if we come together as Christians in the midst of two or three, he is present. And today God's in the sanctuary. He's here. And if you want to communicate to him, it's it's your opportunity. Though he slay you, we will still put our faith and trust in him. That's great confidence. I want to close with a psalm verse. Of Psalm chapter 18 verse 6 says But in my distress I cried out to the Lord Yes I prayed he said To the God To my God for help And he heard me from the sanctuary My cry to him reached his ears Know this as we get set up today To worship God He's hearing your cries Your prayers and your pain I can't guarantee you anything more than that But to not know this He's here He's listening And he's going to start doing work. And if the only work is to show his testimony through you, then let that happen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as a broken society. Lord, we come to you as a broken country. As a broken state, as a broken city, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ as broken individuals. Lord, do a work in our hopelessness. Do a work in our hopelessness. Use us as a testimony for your glory. Lord, if there's someone here that has a a, a state of hopelessness and they need to commit to God, maybe for the first time, or just get on their knees and cry out, Lord, I've made a mess of my life, I need to recommit to you. If that's you, confess to God and repent and turn back and follow His ways and get out of your ways. You can say a prayer of salvation or recommit this prayer to Him. Repeat after me, Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my hope. In this hopeless world. I know that you died. 
and you rose again on Resurrection Sunday so that I may have everlasting life. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live for you and learn to worship you all the days of my life. We say these things in your name, the most precious name in the world, Jesus Christ. Amen.